We're learning how to become a mighty man or woman of God today on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. The door to the best kind of life is wide open to all. That good news is front and center today on Abounding Grace. We return to our study of 2 Samuel on this Thursday, and in chapter 23, we have the account of David's last words. Ed Taylor doesn't want us to miss the amazing grace of God that touched David's life so deeply. What's so exciting about this is its availability and accessibility to us all. Here's Pastor Ed chapter 23 and you'll notice when you get there in verse 1 that the chapter opens now these are the last words of David thus says David the son of Jesse thus says the man raised up on high the anointed of God of Jacob and the sweet psalmist of Israel now the final words of a man or a woman are very important their final words sometimes contain encouragements or exhortations. Other times they reveal insight, direction for after they pass. Most of the time when you're able to enjoy those last words, they reveal an intense love that's been shared over the years together. We know later on in Paul's life, as he writes 2 Timothy, many of those are his last words, and he writes with such great intensity uh, and encouragement to Timothy. But usually the last words of a person as you begin to see the horizon and the highlight of your life, they're filled with a consciousness of the eternal. No longer is he or she worried about what's for dinner or worried about the bills or the future, but instead their thoughts surround eternity and what really matters the most. So when a person shares his or her final words, we want to listen. We want to pay attention. We want to squeeze as much out of them as we possibly can. And it was Charles Spurgeon, anyone that wants to be effective in ministry, he was actually writing to pastoral students, but he said this, if you want to be effective in ministry, then be often at the bedside of the sick and the dying. They'll give you perspective. They'll give you wisdom from those that have gone before us. Now, these aren't really the last, last words of King David. These are his final words. Because we'll get to 1 Kings chapter 2, and when he's exhorting his son Solomon, then we'll get to the final words that are recorded for us. But these are words toward the end of his life. Words toward all, after all that we've studied in his life. And notice that he's described as David, the son of Jesse, the man that God raised up on high the anointed of God, of Jacob. And then this last phrase is really encouraging. He's the sweet psalmist of Israel. Now, that's very much what David's remembered for. He was a psalmist. 
And right, if you, most Bibles, if you take the Bible and you just let it open, it's going to probably open to the Psalms, right down the middle. They pretty much hit the middle of most Bible printings. And in the middle of your Bible, you're going to find 150 of Psalms. Most of them are from David, not all of them, but most of them David wrote. And in those, he left a legacy, not only for the nation of Israel, but for every true believer that's following God through Jesus Christ today. In his Psalms, you find comfort and hope and encouragement and strength. You read of God's sovereignty, God's faithfulness, God's help, God's presence. And inspired of the Holy Spirit, through David's personal life, we have so many true attributes of who God really is. Think of what life would be like if the Psalms were not in the Bible. I mean, there's a lot of great things in the scriptures. There's a lot of great stories, true stories of God's deliverance. But where would you really turn to to get an immediate encouragement? I mean, just straight up. Where, where could you possibly turn to in the Bible? There are a few places. But places in the Psalms where it says, I'm, my heart is overwhelmed. And you're like, wow, that's in the Bible? Yeah, it's in the Bible. Well, it's in my life too. I know. Read on. <laughs> or, or how David will cry out, Lord, have mercy on me. What? In the Bible? Yeah, yeah, in the Bible. Or maybe you're praying, Lord, break their... Yeah, that's in the Bible too, break their teeth. But you got to read on because David wasn't in the spirit there. He was inspired, but the Lord's teaching him, no, I don't want to break their teeth, David. I want to redeem them. I want to see them changed. But you feel like that sometimes. Where else would we turn? When I need help, when I need a reminder, I need God to speak to my emotions, I personally, I turn to the Psalms. David has become, and the sons of Korah, uh, and those that wrote the Psalms have become very good friends to me in the last few years. Because I can read the Psalms and at least for a moment, perspective returns. That was from David. He's remembered now as a sweet psalmist of Israel. And then notice verse 2. The Spirit of the Lord spoke by me, and his word was on my tongue. The God of Israel said, The rock of Israel spoke to me. He who rules over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. And he shall be like the light of the morning when the sun rises, a morning without clouds, like the tender grass springing up out of the earth by clear shining after rain. You know, David spoke these words inspired by the Holy Spirit, just like he did with the Psalms. As this is written up, these last words, he's speaking and God has reserved them for us to learn. And, and you know, the themes of David are so powerful, like he's showing us here. Look to the Lord. If you guys pay careful attention in verse 2 and 3, you'll see the Trinity right here in 2 Samuel. You'll notice that the Spirit of the Lord is mentioned in verse 2, that the God of Israel, God the Father, is mentioned in verse 3, and then the rock of Israel, a reference we see in the New Testament of Jesus Christ, are all mentioned here, the triune God. Before the, the fullness of the doctrine of the Trinity was developed, you find it all throughout the scriptures. Even before the Son was revealed, the eternal Son of God, it's right here in 2 Samuel. And so what does David encourage us to do? To look to the Lord. 
to rest in him, to, to not fret throughout the Psalms because of evildoers that bring evil things to pass, to rest in the Lord and trust in him, delight thyself in the Lord, and all the help and all the strength and all the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He says in verse 2, remember the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me. It was his word on my tongue. He claims that his words in the Psalms were inspired by the triune God. You know, Jesus agrees that the Psalms were inspired by God. He says as much in Mark chapter 12, verse 36, where it says, for David himself said by the Holy Spirit. I mean, there's a lot of theology in this. If we wanted to break these first few verses up, we could probably do a four-week study uh, or longer on the character and nature of God as it relates to the Trinity. Although we've done that in other places, if that interests you, you can just go on our website and put Trinity up in the uh, search bar and you'll find it. We could also do an in-depth study on the inerrancy of the scriptures and the inspiration of the scriptures, that they are God-breathed. And we've done in-depth studies on that as well. But Jesus claims that David's words were inspired. He looks back on the Psalms, on this sweet psalmist of Israel, and says he was speaking by the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, men and brethren, the scriptures had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David. And so here we are, as the last words of David are pointing us to the triune God, the last words of David are pointing us to the inerrancy, at least of what he wrote, but knowing that that would extend to the scriptures as they were known uh, in his day. And then notice he says, he, he writes in verse 3, we don't want to skip this. He who rules over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. That's an important truth for those of you that have a position of oversight or leadership. Maybe here in the church or perhaps as a supervisor at work or you oversee people uh, and you have responsibility over people. This is a very important truth. He who rules over men must be just, must be right. Ruling how, especially for you believers, in the fear of God. No man can rule over man unless he himself is consciously ruled by God. Otherwise, men will abuse and take advantage of one another. And Jesus mentioned such a ruler in Luke's gospel, chapter 18, when he said, there was a man in a certain city, a judge, who did not fear God or regard man. And it's unfortunate that many people are put into positions of leadership, sometimes in a church, um, but certainly in our world, that don't fear God and don't regard man. And much damage is done. Notice he says in verse 4, He shall be like the light of the morning when the sun rises, the morning with clouds, like the tender grass springing out of the earth, uh, by clear shining after rain, although my house is not so with God. And yet he has made me with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure, for this is all my salvation and all my desire. Will he not make it increase? But the sons of rebellion shall be as the thorns thrust away, because they cannot be taken with hands. But the man who touches them must be armed with an iron and a shaft of a spear, and they shall be utterly burned with fire in their place." Now, David speaks of the coming Messiah in verse 4, the one that will rule in justice and the one that will rule in righteousness. 
And then it seems as if in verse 5, he gets to a place which I think many times we get to a place, and he, that is he's overwhelmed by the grace of God. Because he looks at his life, and notice what he says in verse 5, although my house is not so with God. Now, if you like to take notes, and you want to be reminded of this, that this is, this is David's admission that he made many mistakes as a dad. This is David's admission toward the end of his life as he reflects, as he recalls the mistakes that he made, the issues in his home, and we spent considerable amount of time studying what happened with Absalom and all that's going on in his house. Even dating back, I'm sure he's thinking of the sin with Bathsheba. And he admits it. I would just have to say to you today, those of you listening in, that you don't need to wait for your final words to admit that you've made mistakes. You don't have to wait till the very end. Truly, the sooner you can come to terms with your own mistakes, whether they be on purpose or on accident, the, the quickest place, the quickest that you can come to terms with the mistakes that you've made and respond in repentance will give you the most amount of time to make things right. You may or may not be able to make things right. But when you get your life right with the Lord and you humble yourself before Him, imagine that if we were writing a book about your life, you were writing your own autobiography, sharing your own final words, how many would really say, looking back at your life, although my house isn't like that, that's not how my house ended up. Even though, he says, He's made an everlasting covenant with me. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve what God has given me. And I know as we read of David's words and we, we think upon our own lives, I know we all can share stories of failures and heartache. I'm telling you, the, the older I get, the more my parents, what they shared with me growing up was spot on. Like this dumb phrase that I used to hear. Uh, I don't know if you used to hear it, but I used to hear it. My parents would say things, you know, if I knew now... When I, whatever it is, you know what it is. I heard it so many times I don't even remember it. If I knew then when I know now, I'd do things differently. Because I look at my own parents and I can see it in my own life. You know, my parents have gone home to be with the Lord now, but I look at my own parents and they did the best that they had, they could with what they had. They're good people. Um, and in their later in life, they really dedicated themselves to loving God and living for Him. But they really did the best that they... I mean, I remember talking to my mom because in the early years of my mom, my mom and dad, uh, they were chain smokers. I mean, they were always... They, were light, they would be the kind of people that uh, would smoke a cigarette and then they'd light the next cigarette with the last cigarette. And they were just smoking all the time. I remember as a kid seeing layers of smoke in my house. I didn't know Marie was the very first person that ever told me that I stunk. <laughs> I didn't know what my parents' smoking actually did to all the clothes in the house. I didn't know that. And I remember asking my mom one day, because they eventually quit. Health caught up with them, and they quit cold turkey. It was really good and very good for the health. I mean, but I asked my mom, well, why, you know, why did you smoke? And she said, well, when I was growing up, it was okay. I would go, she told me this, I would go to the doctor's office and he would give me an examination with a cigarette in his mouth. 
The doctors were used as advertisements. But then you'd have to meet my granny who lived in Kingman, Arizona, my mom's mom. And you'd really understand why smoking entered into my house because my granny was the kind of woman that would roll her own cigarettes. <laughs> and she, I watched her as a kid. She'd roll, sh- 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 she'd buy the can of tobacco. She'd cut off the ends. Uh, hey, you do the best with what you have. And over time, you grow in your understanding and you correct your mistakes and you humble yourself and apologize to those that perhaps, including your children, you apologize, you ask for forgiveness. Sorry. And David is admitting that. Yeah, we made mistakes. We all do. And we all will. And yet at the same time, we look at what God has done in our lives and we're overwhelmed. Yeah, although my house is not so, it's not all that I would have desired. It wasn't what I dreamed of. God, you still love me. You made an eternal covenant with me. You've saved me, as he says in verse 5. For all this, my salvation and my desire. Turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 7. Let me just, it hasn't, it, it's been quite a while since we were there. But David was like this at, at another point in 2 Samuel. Notice with me, verse 18. You know, the, you remember when we were there. Uh, David wanted to build a temple. That was on his heart. He he wanted to do something from the Lord, for the Lord. And notice in verse 18, King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is this, my house, that you have brought me this far? And yet this is a small thing in your sight, O Lord God, that you have also spoken to your servant's house for a great while to come in this manner of man, O Lord God. Now, what more can David say to you? For you, Lord God, know your servant for your word's sake. According to your own heart, you have done all these great things to make your servant know them. Therefore, you're a great God. You're great, O Lord God, for there's none like you. Nor is there any God beside you according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who's like your people? Like Israel, the one nation on the earth whom God went to redeem him for himself as a people. To make for himself a name and to do for you great and awesome deeds for your land. Before your people whom you redeemed and you yourself from Egypt, from the nations and their gods. For you have made your people Israel, your very own people forever. You, Lord, have become their God. The answer from the Lord was, David, you won't build me a temple, but I'll build you a house, a heritage, an eternal covenant that even from the covenant of God, Messiah would come. And we're still talking about David today, even though his house was not so with God. There are those times, aren't there, when you're overwhelmed by the goodness and graciousness of God. There are those times when you say, what more can I say, Lord? Or like David in 1 Samuel, he starts, you know, he starts speaking in the third person. What more could Ed possibly say to declare to you your goodness, Lord? In all of this, as I look back, I could have done this and I could have done that and I wish I would have done, but Lord, how good you are to keep your promise and to save me. It's not gonna be like that, verse six, like the sons of rebellion. They're not gonna enjoy this ending. Their words, their final words are not as sweet and not as, as savory of the goodness of God. Hmm. 
Now, as we read through the next section, built upon the grace of God, we go back to a few men that were, that were with David. And through them, if you're taking notes, there's going to be five characteristics that I think will really bless you in walking with the Lord and taking things seriously. Of becoming, if you will, a mighty man, a mighty woman of God. Because as he comes back, he says in verse 8, these are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Josheb, Bashabeth, the Tachamite, chief among the captains, he who was called a dino, the Esnite, because he had killed 800 men at one time. Three of David's mighty men are mentioned. And remember, when David was on the run and wanted to get away alone in the cave, the Lord brought those rough guys to him. I'll read it to you in 1 Samuel 22. He was wanting to get away. He wanted to be alone. He wanted to hide in a cave, just sort of be bummed out for a while, take some time alone. And it says, therefore, in 1 Samuel 22, verse 1, therefore, when David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam, when his brothers and his father's house heard it, they went down to him. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone that was discontented gathered to him. So all these guys, these are a rough group of men, distressed, in debt, running away from their debts, upset, mad, complainers, in distressing types of things, and he became a captain over them. They submitted to him, about 400 of them. And one of them was this guy, Josheb Bashabeth. And, and notice that it says that he killed 800 men at one time. The, the King James and the New Living Translation actually translates this, that they were, says that he lifted up his spear to kill 800 men. That he lifted up his spear. And I think as we are learning as a church, if you want to be a, a strong, mighty man or a mighty woman of God, you need to be prayerful. And the idea of lifting up your spear, lifting up your hands. There's a picture of that in the scriptures. It was Moses when they were battling the Philistines. He was up on the mountain with his hands up. And as his hands became tired, when Joshua was down fighting on behalf of the children of Israel, when his arms were up, there was victory. And when his arms became heavy, they began to lose. And so there were those that came alongside of him and lifted up his arms. And here, I like the old King James in this one, where he lifts up his spear and through victory, he slew 800 men at one time. If you want to be effective, you need to keep your hands lifted up. This is Abounding Grace, and you're listening to a portion of a series in 2 Samuel from pastor and Bible teacher Ed Taylor. Request a CD copy of the message or the entire series when you give us a call at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Another option is to go to calvaryaurora.org where we house Ed's teachings. And we have a couple of apps that we'd like to recommend that are free and available on all platforms. Search for Calvary Aurora and the Grace FM Colorado apps. You'll be able to access Pastor Ed's teachings there. At Abounding Grace, we're committed to delivering God's Word to stations like this every day. But we can't do it alone. We're very thankful for the listeners that come alongside us. And if you'd like to help us reach people with the love and truth of Christ, please visit calvaryaurora.org or call 
1-800-273-8830-GRACE. And as you give $25 or more today, we'll say thanks by sending you The Holy Land Key by Ray Bentley. It's an eye-opener to some little-known aspects of prophecy. You'll learn about God's master plan revealed in the seven feasts of the Lord, the significant prophetic patterns discovered in the lunar cycle, and receive glimpses of God's future kingdom as revealed in the stories of people in Scripture. Ask for a copy of The Holy Land Key, Unlocking End Times Prophecy Through the Lives of God's People in Israel, as you call 877-30-GRACE, or turn to calvaryaurora.org on the web. Ed Taylor is the pastor of a church nearby many of you, Calvary Aurora. You can hear him teach most weekends at the church, Our service times are Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.45 and 10.45. There's a Wednesday evening service, too, and that begins at 7. Go to calvaryaurora.org if you'd like more information. We'll get right back into 2 Samuel tomorrow on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We'll see you then. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Chapel Aurora.